Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Movie Brats podcast. Uh, I am Carter in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and joining me today, as always, is Jonathan in beautiful South Carolina. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing fine. We're both back from traveling for Thanksgiving. I went to Arkansas, and you went to I Virginia. Went home to Virginia, yes, and digested a couple movies I had seen the week before, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Widows, which will form the backbone of our discussion today. I know you saw them a little more recently, and you actually saw The Ballad of Buster Scruggs in theaters, right? Yes, on my way to Arkansas, I saw it at the Midtown Landmark Art Cinema, and uh, I'm very much a big supporter of seeing a movie on the big screen. If it doesn't play any closer, I'm going to also go back to Atlanta to see Roma, which opens uh, the first uh, early in December. But yeah, yeah I saw it with my uh, two of my friends, and um, you saw it before me actually on Netflix. Yeah, but, I actually um, even watched it kind of uh, in separate parts. I watched the first four and then the last two in separate sittings, so very much Netflix very much not a cinema experience i would recommend to people that if they can to watch it in one sitting i mean it is about two hours and 15 minutes uh but it's i think that even though the stories aren't connected by any characters or direct plot i think they thematically you know go together and that it's it, it it you know the coen brothers said in interviews that it's not really true that it was ever conceived as a miniseries that they always intended it to be a film but because it was being uh released through netflix they didn't really know exactly what to call it but it is an anthology film that was always intended to be a one-off thing made up of six stories and that they weren't gonna release it uh you know, even though Netflix releases, you know, all the episodes at once, usually it was considered a film in their mind always. Yeah, I could see definitely they sort of build up on each other, the sort of uh, different vignettes that emerge through it. And uh, they sort of get longer in length than each one, I think, the duration of each one sort of longer. And they form sort of triptychs, I think, the first three and the second three. So we can just sort of get into the, the nitty gritty about them. The first one, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, that, uh, takes the name of the whole anthology follows uh what's his name tim blake tim Nelson. blake Nelson. Yeah. he was an old brother where art thou yeah it's a sort of singing Western gene autry character. type yeah gene autry type which yeah it was and, sort and, of fun there wasn't a whole lot to it i thought i um, said it was it's a one joke uh segment but it's a funny joke yeah it's, it's almost like an snl skit like it was well, like 15 minutes it's like if Gene Autry entered into a Tarantino or Sam Peckinpah yeah. film. Yeah, and pretty much. It, 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 it's basically, you know, you have all these old westerns where bang, bang, someone gets shot and falls down. But it's like, no, what if the singing cowboy in white goes in and like actually blows someone's head off and you see the brain and viscera, you know. And it's and like it's, smiling it's, as he does it. <laughs> right. And yeah, it is um, basically that's it but it, it's 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 really amusing and tim blake nelson has um has this kind of weird charm to him where he's yeah. not like a typical leading man he's kind of he is a character actor but there's something really funny about him you know being the title character of this film uh, even though it's really just the first segment but yeah it's it's a classic example like in the previous episode of the coen brothers mixing humor and dark violence and also 
creative ways of killing people with the yeah, for sure. smashing with the table. table. Yeah. yeah, right. And I like the fact the other guy went up to him afterwards and he just like drenched in blood all over his face. And he's like wiping his face going, wake up, wake up. And it's obviously that it's like brains have been blown out and he's completely dead. But he's like holding him up like, come on, buddy, wake up. Yeah, yeah it but, was um, it was a very off kilter sort of sort of segment and i you sort of knew he was going to get shot by the guy in black at the end he was i don't know and then the way his like angel flew off it was all very very jokey it seemed i wouldn't say like entirely derivative but it seemed like a cartoon that i'd seen before you know what i mean uh, well it almost it almost could have been an animated segment yeah. like it's, it's, all, <laughs> it's it almost like, like looney tunes in a way yeah yeah yeah. Well, um, I actually think the second segment is probably the one that is the least successful. I think it's yeah. amusing, but it just doesn't really add up to much. Um, it has James Franco and Stephen Root, who's been in a number of their films, um, Oh Brother where, and No Country for Old Men. And probably he's most famous for playing Milton in Office Space. <laughs> but um, it's yeah, it's 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 one of those little segments that's amusing and there's funny bits in it, but when it's over, you're like, okay, I don't know really if that added up to much, but yeah. it was, you know, fun while it lasted, I guess. I guess it was just sort of, it's called Near Algodones. It's like James Franco's, uh, he tries to rob this bank in the middle of nowhere, gets caught doing it by Stephen Root, and a really funny visual gag where he's covering himself with pans, sort of out of a fistful of dollars where Clint Eastwood does it. And, uh, and just like, yeah, survives one hanging and then gets killed at the next one. And that was basically well, the whole thing. One of the best <laughs> jokes in the film is where he's at the second hanging and he looks over to the guy next to him and he goes, first time? Yeah. That was a good joke, <laughs> yeah. yeah but, that was um, funny, but yeah, it didn't really add up too much. Uh, I don't know, it just was like a sort of mood of the West, like life is very cheap out there is pretty much all I can take from it. Well, you said that you think of the film as like a triptych, but I actually think of the film as the first two, uh-huh. the second, third, uh, the first two, and then the next two, and then the next two. I think of them broken up into like the first two are, you know, kind of humorous. And then the third and fourth one, well, the third one to me is definitely the most bleak. The third oh, one. Oh, for sure. It's like it's, nihilistic. It's one of my favorite. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's one of my favorite. I think it's, um, I wrote down a quote uh, by H.L. Mencken. He said, "No one." This is attributed to him. It's kind of paraphrased from what he actually said. But the line is, "No one ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public." And mm-hmm. you know, you have the chicken poking at numbers, and you know, he replaces a human being. You know, yeah. uh, you know, but it's there's something really haunting about that segment. And well, all these, the, I think a lot of the power of these uh, different parts of the film, they're like short stories. They're yeah. sparse narrative. And that's how they're sort of presented in the, uh, the little book. That's the framing device. Yeah. They have the color uh, plate and then they yeah. turn over and you see the actual opening writing and ending of the short stories as if they're adapting these fix. They're not actually, I think only one of them is actually based on a Jack London um, story, but uh, most of them are. Oh, we have a special guest today. Yeah. He'll shut up in a second. Rooney. There he goes. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll cut well, it out. Well, no, no, it's okay. But um, yeah, no, I I thought the third segment was really powerful and uh, just you know it, it, not just dis- well it, disturbing in a way not because it's like violent necessarily yeah. it's just this it's it's just like this bleak bleak look at humanity and yeah you know a sort lot of, of a them weird are role for Liam Neeson too as like the I know 
He like barely talked face in good it. Guys. <laughs> yeah. I know. I don't know. And he had that amazing coat almost like it reminded me of uh, Warren Beatty and McCabe and Mrs. Miller. This like oh, giant. Yeah. The sort of coat. whole mood of that one reminded me of that. I was just like sparse in the middle of nowhere. Well, uh, about it was. About I setting. sort of thought the beginning of it was kind of cool. They like very detailed showed him setting up the sort of stage and everything like that, and lighting it and making the mood and all that. It's a sort of like segment of old west society you don't think about too much is the entertainment so it's just not kind of cool to see it depicted uh well it's kind of well i mentioned mccabe and mrs miller like uh, that is about bringing an entertainment of sorts prostitution (laughs) into you know it's about you know that's more about uh you know industrialization or something but Mm -hmm. then you have um this is bringing art to the Mm -hmm. masses and you know all the people sitting there you know some of them give money when they pass the hat around but they you have the sense that these people don't really have any idea like what the man is talking about you know he's giving these monologues and they're just like sitting there because i don't have anything else to do it's like get a whore get drunk (laughs) at the bar or listen to this orator like like that's basically what they have to do in town yeah i mean it was it was sort of just thinking about people actually doing that i thought it was sort of realistic and that that for sure definitely happened it's just something you don't see depicted very often which i thought was pretty cool yeah i um i i do you agree with me that the third and fourth one are two of the best ones the fourth one is really i thought the fourth one was really good and that's the one that's actually based on previous material which i think is a jack london short story i saw um yeah, it stars uh, what's Tom Waits. Tom Waits, yeah, and his first Coen Brothers appearance. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter saying like, "How is this not like the seventh film that he's been in of theirs?" Like he seems <laughs> yeah. like he would have been in some of theirs already, but yeah, it's um, it has you know, it's one of those that's very deliberately paced. It's him basically yes. prospecting for gold, and it's like ten minutes of him just digging showing the holes process and... of finding the gold and digging, yeah, the riverside yeah. and all that. Yeah, but it's so worth it to pay off where he he gets, well, spoiler alert, he gets shot in the big hole that he's digging. And then for like three or four minutes, the guy who shot him like lights a cigarette and sits there. And then he finally jumps down. Oh, you realize he's not dead. Tom waits and he turns around and just shoots him. And it's like so rewarding. Like the fact that the Coen brothers would milk it for that long. And like, yeah, and it's one of the few ones that actually has like a triumphant ending to it. Yeah, the rest of them are so bleak. I know. It's like even ones where like people are getting like shot and like severely wounded. It's like, you know, it, it's it's the most feel good of the of the uh, segments probably. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, it was just sort of cool they opened up with like the pristine valley like totally untouched by people and as soon as the prospector comes in they're like all the animals leave and like takes on this menacing tone cuz cuz mankind like brings all this destructive sort of capabilities to nature. It was a uh, I don't know. It was, that was probably my favorite out of all of them. Um, well, I was going to say a lot of these segments, like I was saying, are like short stories because they're very, uh, you know, the narratives are very simple, but you want to, they stay with you. Some of these, you know, it's obvious, you know, like this just happens in it, but you're like, what does the owl mean? What's yeah. that a metaphor for? <laughs> like you're always trying to d- dig deeper into it because uh, you almost wish that they, you know, you could read a, the actual, you know, it, most of them are just made oh, up. Oh, yeah. But I would the, love to read the actual short... text in it and, like, see what the, yeah. the character's thinking and stuff like that. Right. But I, I also think the fifth one is really good. I think it's the most yeah. uh, emotionally moving. And oh, it's, for sure. Uh, one, of the, one of the most well-acted. It's called The Gal Who Got Rattled. 
and it's Zoe Kazan, who's the granddaughter of Eli Kazan. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? I knew that they were related. And um, she was um, uh, uh, she co-wrote the film Wildlife, which came out earlier yeah, this year. Yeah, she's uh, in a relationship with Paul Dano. They're real power. Right, couple. they just had a kid recently. Oh, um, really? And, yeah, and um, it's about a woman and her brother who go on a wagon train and very like in all movies, if someone starts coughing, they die. <laughs> yeah, just, you like, just have to cough red into your handkerchief. <laughs> right, um, and she is stuck, not having money to pay the man who is helping transport her wagon and her stuff across the country. Yeah, and so, uh, <laughs> right, and she is has this you know, questionable, you know, how legitimate it is, this relationship that she's supposed to meet a man over there and she's going to get married to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, her uh, her brother has set up this with a business partner and she she doesn't really know how, you know, you know, she's basically going out and her whole life is going out on this wagon train and like everything goes wrong. Yeah. And I, I, it's one of the most it's one of the most well-written segments it's very um it's it reminded me of the true grit film they did where it's mm-hmm. very uh rich in dialogue and it feels vernacular. very authentic in the way they talk right i was listening an interview with terry gross the coen brothers run um npr and they were saying that they took um some of the ideas from the film from actual transcripts uh, or, or stories of wagon trains and the idea of the dog that there were these accounts of people that were irritated and broke out into fights because dogs were coming you know along and like people would get irritated by them barking so yeah. you would think that might be some constructed thing that on, only the Cohen brothers would make up but that's actually something that was in accounts from the time that's wild and i mean a lot of it seems very like specific to the time and like very detail oriented like i was talking about the way they set up the wagon at the stage and all that and this one and just like the way the relationship existed between like the cattle driver and the the person the two people who i guess were like head and rear who sort of like protect the the wagon train and just like very defined roles that I don't know. As for like stylistic and formalist as Coen Brothers movies are, they also provide a lot of realism, especially in like the small details of it. And I think this one, uh, the gal who got rattled, is one of the more effective, just giving like the dynamics of like a wagon train. It's like something you don't really think about too much, but they seem to think about it a great deal and formed like a really interesting and really emotionally effective narrative out of it. Uh, I don't know if I should spoil it, but like. <laughs> Uh, well, you it's been well. out a while. Yeah, yeah. The the ending's very. What would be the word? What, how would you describe it? it it's very. Uh, it's it's, it's tragic. Upsetting, I mean, for yeah, sure. Right. Uh, I was going to mention. It's uh, interesting that it reminded me quite a bit of a film that also stars Zoe Kazan, uh, Meek's uh-huh. Cutoff, uh-huh. Uh, which is about a wagon train, and the that's a that's one that's extremely realistic. You, uh-huh. I mean, that is a, a western more than almost any that I've ever seen. You really feel like you go back in time <laughs> and are witnessing uh like history, history and watching. Yeah, it just feels really realistic. It doesn't seem hyped up or you know modernized to uh-huh. please an audience and this one i like the fact i you know you have to lean in to understand the dialogue sometimes oh yeah it's, it's all like stilted and very formal and they have to address each other like mr and miss and all that sort of stuff 
Right. And um, I just love how throughout the whole film, there's all these amazing character actors and even extras that look like they've been pulled out from under a rock on a Sam Peckinpah set. They're so <laughs> yeah. grizzled and Everybody's hairy. Everybody's got these beards and, uh, and stuff. I know that, you know, you usually don't see these types of people on screen, you know, and the Coen brothers don't mind being, you know, sprinkling them throughout all oh. of their films. Uh, but yeah, I think that this segment is the most um, genuine and moving. I mean, so, I mean, like we've said before, the Coen brothers have sometimes been criticized for being cruel or overly bleak. And mm-hmm. it feels like they're just like, uh, with the magnifying glass over some ants, they're just yeah. like torturing their characters. <laughs> yeah. But I find this one the most, um, moving and emotionally rewarding. Yeah, the, the most segments. effective emotionally for sure. Right, even though it is still kind of cruel, but I think it earns it, and it's yeah, it not does. manipulative. Um, it makes you care and, about the characters in a very short amount of time. Right, and that's one good thing about the short story aspect is that there's, you know, none of them are more than half an hour. Yeah, half I think half an hour is the longest one. That's the last one. Right. And uh, well, no, I think this one is the longest of okay. the, all of them. But um, the last the one two. is the Mortal Remains, yes. and it has uh, Brendan Gleeson and Sal Rebinek and uh, Tyne Daly and uh, a few other people in a um, in a uh, in a stagecoach. You know, each of the segments, all of them are westerns, but they take a subgenre of yeah. uh, the western, like the first singing cowboy. You have a bank Second robber, one is the you... lynching bank robbers. Right, and then you have uh, the wagon train we mentioned. Now you have a stagecoach one, which is a bunch of people. Yeah. Right, you have a bunch of people in, uh, in this final segment sitting in a stagecoach. Drawn and together from this... different backgrounds and ways of life and all that sort of stuff. Just like right. stagecoach, the John Ford movie. Everybody's different and it comes together to form a little community. <laughs> right, and it. Um, I, this is the one I'm not entirely sure um, what it's trying to say but it, was it makes the most me, sort it, of like vague and you would say metaphorical and the least realistic i guess because the um, the driver almost seems like uh you know um uh like nosferatu like they're you know yeah. like how they're you don't really see the driver and not and it's like this haunted it's like very like otherworldly yeah i right. saw a lot and of I, people were saying it was about like transporting people who had been killed or something like that which I guess right. you could take it that way. Well, I think of it also as a commentary on storytelling, uh-huh. how the whole film is about all these different stories and how in the end these different stories come together and they're all commenting on mortality. Mm-hmm. I kind of read it partially like that. I don't know exactly what they're saying beyond that, but <laughs> yeah. that's not saying it's a failure. It's just that I, I'm still grappling with Uh, and pondering some of the meaning of some of these but Mm -hmm. that's another one like the previous segment the the writing is so good it's just and it's just the one setting location the whole time like it's basically just like a chamber drama or something like that like it's could be performed on stage uh theoretically because it's just like the one setting and the characters just sort of talking to each other but uh yeah, I found it really interesting. Uh, Brendan Gleeson and this other guy, uh, John Joe O'Neill, who I hadn't seen in anything else, are like uh, two bounty hunters, and they're just like talking to these three I, sort of I, elderly, so that makes me guess that they might be dead. Just sort of about like their trade as bounty hunters and these people's like this woman's husband and all that sort of stuff. And it like seems very benign, but like there's this weird t- tone, especially with the driver, and how they're like the driver never stops. 
it's fun. I've only seen it the one time, but on rewatch, I think it's a lot to like notice and pay attention to. Right. I feel like it's one of those stories. If it were a short story in English, English class, the teacher would go, look at that line, knowing how it ends. Like that means, Oh yeah. Exactly. You know, or there's, uh, there's, you know, the guy, well, I mean, it's all, all of the segments have humor in it. I mean, even the bleakest one, I mean the, the chicken part with the Liam Neeson, like that's, like funny yeah but, but the <laughs> final segment um the care the fur trapper is really amusing he seems uh. a little bit off his rocker and um and just the 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 way that they play i mean some of their dialogue in their films is almost theatrical it's like th- there's a play and like mm-hmm. the way the characters talk it has like a back and forth almost more like a like sing a, songy uh, sort of tone to it also because right like... and also like a, almost sometimes um, the way the dialogue is like in a screwball comedy or film from the 30s mm-hmm. or 40s, it has this rat-a-tat-tat, you know, this musical quality almost where it's just, you know, every line and edit of the film is just very perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the film as a whole and I don't really, like I wouldn't want to rank, like I give the first segment this out of this <laughs> yeah. five star, you know, but um, I, I, I think the film, I wouldn't, I don't even know that I would put it in my top ten Coen Brothers, but I definitely like said, wouldn't. Well, yeah, it's 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 so good though that it's you know even if it's not one of their very best films, it's still oh yeah really solid and it's it's definitely worth seeing and it's and many it's interesting in its own way and is like at least they're like going places most directors wouldn't like think of going. It's not like yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's. It's a good movie. I wouldn't call it great. It's definitely not top ten of the Coen Brothers movies, but it's very interesting and it's got good performances in it, and it it builds on their filmography. Like it's not like a wasted film for them. It's not like throwaway. One thing that I had a little trouble with, um, I I know I complain about this, but I felt like too much of the film looked CGI affected like the it sort of background like, and stuff like that yeah like a lot of it looked way. like this is a screensaver yeah. it looked like it was <laughs> too she- uh, there was too much of a sheen it yeah. didn't look like gritty west it felt like a uh well, that might be manipulative... sort of part of it to like make it seem like the dream like not like the actual west but the hollywood west but uh but i don't know that's sort of contradictory because so much of it seems realistic and like very much like of like pulled directly from history so yeah, I know what you mean. How they, especially in the one uh, with the prospect and the fact that all the animals were like clearly CGI, <laughs> kind of took away from the whole like nature and human message of it. But yeah, I thought it was ultimately a good movie. To our second Liam Neeson <laughs> film, which he shows up uh, and is only about feature. twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's our Liam Neeson double feature where uh, he's only in both films. Like I would say on screen, he's in them both less than about. He's in about twenty minutes total <laughs> probably well, in both films 20 minutes in each i think that he might even be in uh ballad longer than he is in widows i think that might be his... true yeah i mean but yeah widows I mean, I the fourth it's... movie of steve mcqueen just came out a couple weeks ago sort of a change up to what he'd done before which were very serious sort of sparse uh Kind of Oscar Beatty, but not really kind of movies. And now he makes oh, well, this. Well, I wouldn't call Hunger Oscar Beatty. That's like no, Art but House. It's, yeah. yeah. But Art House is sort of Oscar Beatty now. Art House is probably a better way to describe his sort of filmography. But yeah, Widows is like very much like an action movie. But I like that it like had weirdness to it and like didn't treat its audience like they're stupid. 
So although it being like a big Hollywood production action movie, it actually had some interesting social commentary in it, like about how elections are done and like the uh, economic imbalance in like major metropolitan areas. Like there was sort of a cool tracking shot, which is sort of a Steve well. We'll McQueen's... go tell the basic plot before you go in. Should get on that one if I'm getting carried away with the with the stylistic okay, elements well, of it. Okay. Well, the ba- the ba- it's based on a 1983 British miniseries, and the basic plot is that there's a group of criminals led by Liam Neeson's character uh Harry Rawlings and uh there's a group of men that at the very beginning of the film are pulling off a heist and it goes horribly wrong and basically everyone's it's like killed. intercut with them and their like wives in a very cool sort of way right like what there's, they were doing uh, initially before the heist which I right. thought was a and, cool touch and and it what happens is the characters played by Daniel Kaluuya and Brian Tyree Henry, Henry. Tyree Henry are um, in, involved in politics. Uh, Brian uh, Brian plays Jamal, and he's running for office against mm. Colin Farrell's character. He's like um, old money Chicago. Jack Mulligan, which is a very <laughs> it's a great politician name. name. Yeah, I know. But he is. Uh, they're running against each other, and the basically the money that Liam Neeson stole and his bandit friends uh, they want that money. And they so are like going after the widows. Political contributions, basically, yeah. Right. And so Viola Davis uh, plays Veronica. Michelle Rodriguez plays Linda. Elizabeth Debicki plays Alice. And then uh, the babysitter Cynthia of Linda Arrigo. is uh, – um, the character's name is Belle. Mm. And she's played by Cynthia Aviro. Yeah, sorry if we mispronounce your name, people. But uh, they, they get together and they decide they're going to uh, steal the money – to uh, defend themselves from the threat of mm. the people that want their money back, it's uh, and it's it, it. I mean, it is definitely a action thriller heist film, and I think that it does a good job of balancing being that and not being pretentious, but having substance enough that it's not just completely popcorn escapism. But it yeah. completely works on that level too. Yeah, it totally did. I thought it was that. Towed that line really, really well about trying to be, like, artsy and important and making, uh, like, sort of points on America and, like... Black Lives Matter. Exactly, yeah. It was sort of crazy to see that come up in it. Uh, But I think it earned it and it was effective. But also being, like, an entertaining movie and trying to, you know, make a lot of money, as Hollywood movies do. But uh, I thought for, like, this being, like, Steve McQueen's first sort of big-budget movie that he was, like did it really well and didn't sort of compromise what he wants to make in a film and uh, sort of the reasons he has for making one. But uh, yeah, I thought it was really fantastic. Um, The cast, obviously really good. Viola Davis. She's good in everything she does, but uh, I would love to see her (laughs) expand on her sort of like, uh, you know, reach and she can do different than just being an independent, strong woman, which she does really well, but I'd like to see her play something else. I would like to see her in a comedy. I'd like to see her <laughs> yeah. in a. To- I would. I would. Th- I. I have a great idea. She needs to be in a Todd Solondz movie, like a really dark, dark comedy. Like I think she would be perfect in yeah. one of his movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. I just say, 
you know, the main reason to watch a movie like Fences is just, and even I watch the television series How to Get Away with Murder, it's just to bask in her craft. Yeah. She's just so good. She's just at such a high level that you're just sitting there, like, absorbing great acting. Oh, yeah. And there's and, like, so many Dal good actors. Help, and she's, she does it a lot. She's incredible in everything she's in. But it is sort of one note. And it's a very good one note. But yeah, I'd love well, to. I, s- I, I wrote down that she, um, I think a number of the actors early in the film, they seem like they're acting with a capital A, but then you get so drawn into the film that mm. you, it dissipates, you kind of forget about it. You know, Col- uh, Colin Farrell is playing Jack Mulligan and he, yeah, you know, like he sort of knows he's in an Oscar nominated movie. Yeah, but it's so fun seeing Robert Duvall. He's like, I'm 87 years old, I can do whatever. You know, and it's <laughs> yeah. just, he, he he's so good. good. It's, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I also I thought think, Elizabeth I think... Debicki was really fantastic. Uh, she hadn't right. been in a whole lot of. Uh, she was in like The Man from Uncle and The Great Gatsby, but uh, this is the first one where I really saw her show that she's a really capable actress who's probably going to do some interesting stuff in the future. Um, Cynthia right. Erivo, people sort of like claiming she's going to be the ne- one of the next great actresses. She doesn't get a whole lot of opportunities to show that in this movie. I thought she was solid, but uh, nothing like too incredible. Um, Daniel Kaluuya was the person I was really impressed with. I thought he was having so much fun as like the sort of gangster character, and like his yeah, accent was so perfect and just is like menacing, but also sort of cool and very charismatic. Brian Tyree Henry, who was in Atlanta, do you watch that show? Yes. Okay, yeah, he's great in Atlanta. He's getting cast in a whole lot of stuff now, which is pretty cool to see. But he was very believable as like the uh, sort of gangster boss of Chicago who's trying to go straight. And just the way they dealt with sort of like the inner city politics of Chicago was like, <laughs> it was very in-depth in a way I really did not expect. One of the shots that really captures that is there's a really interesting part where he gets out of a political rally in the really rundown section of town and he gets in his car with his assistant and the camera stays outside the car you don't go in and you're only hearing the conversation and in this one shot you see just a few blocks away you know there's this whole other side of town where it's beautiful yeah you know white 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 people neighborhood manicured lawns yeah uh security guards and uh that was really interesting and also the idea of having your politicians where you know you have them on the outside and their surface and they're saying one thing but once they get inside oh yeah it's totally different they're like who the fuck was that (laughs) i know (laughs) that journalist is such an asshole there's a lot of interesting things that Steve McQueen does with the camera in the film. The scene where um, Daniel Kaluuya is with the two people that were hiding, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like a, 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 a locker of some kind, and then he they are questioned, and the camera's roaming around, and it's very menacing. It's graceful the camera work, but there's a menace to it because it's just like it just it's gets almost like, like tighter an and tighter as it goes around them. It's it's like an animal circling his prey, yeah. and there's just uh, the camera works really stunning in this film, and and it also uh, the you know when it gets to be a more standard action film, it's just like a really solid one. It's thrilling and slick. Yeah, and but gritty. it almost got to the point near the end where like the heist itself became like of secondary importance. Like when it finally happened, I was just like, oh, that didn't like seem as big as just like the characters' personal lives and like the whole election thing. And there was just like so much going on that the heist itself was a little bit underwhelming, I thought. Well, it's it's like in Zero Dark Thirty when they actually kill Osama bin Laden. It's like so been planned out that it's like, 
oh, they just like go in and kill him. <laughs> like, they just <laughs> yeah, go in and steal. It's like, oh, it just happened. Of course, <laughs> except in this film, well, we won't give away what happens, but it's um, yeah, there was there, a little there's... complications to it and stuff like that. But there was just so much other stuff going on secondarily, like uh, the whole like uh, Colin Farrell election thing with Jack Mulligan, like is almost as like up there forefront with the uh, with Viola Davis and her like widows and their whole thing. It was just uh, at a very wide focus as an action movie, which was. I listened. I listened to an interview. The DGA does these really interesting interviews where they get a director to interview another director, and they had mm. Dee Reese, who directed Mudbound and Pariah, interview Steve McQueen, and she was talking about one of the themes of the film, or the ideas, is about inheritance, how these women are inheriting money, and also the idea of how uh, Jack Mulligan feels like he should just inherit the election from his father played by robert duvall and you know and like there's a line where he says you know you don't just inherit elections you know you're not a king you know you need to win them and it's the idea of uh people passing on you know and how you know and and those connections that people make so i thought that you know there's kind of a, a, a connection between the heist money element and the political yeah it was just i, I really liked it i it's probably my least favorite of Steve McQueen's movies because he's just made such incredible ones so far. But I, I mean, I liked it. I don't think it'll get nominated for Best Picture because um, although it was good, it wasn't like absolutely breathtaking. Um, it's, it's probably it also a little has the too problem long, of being, I think. Well, it has, a, it has the problem of being an entertaining movie is that Oscars yeah. feel like if it's a, any kind of a genre movie, even though The Shape of Water won last year, uh, it feels like there's often a... You know, they don't like to give comedies or action films or, you know, you know, Heat. I don't think Heat was nominated for Best Picture. No, it wasn't. And that's definitely yeah. was one of the best pictures of 1995. Right. But um, I do think that it could uh, possibly get some, you know, uh, you know, one act, one acting nomination or yeah, maybe Elizabeth uh, Debicki supporting actress. Best editing possibly I don't know. <laughs> yeah you know it's like it's like the year the you know you went like the girl with the dragon tattoo wasn't going to get nominated for best picture but it yeah. won best editing i think yeah yeah it did surprising. which was i mean yeah. it is incredibly edited movie but, but uh, um it's yeah it's really worth seeing it's um where would you just, put it on uh, steve mcqueen's movie so far do you think it's his worst i think hunger is his best best film yeah i agree with um, that. i would go hunger 12 years of slave widows and shame yeah it might be better than shame but that just Michael Fassbender is just so incredible in that that. Yeah, I think the I think Shame's a little pretentious, yeah. but it's good. <laughs> it's definitely pretentious. I think Hunger's pretentious, but in like a good no. I way. think Hunger. I no. I think Hunger like earns it. It, yeah. it, it really works. And um, the, well, the problem I have with Twelve Years a Slave is it's it, it, there's so much good about the film, mm-hmm. but I feel like Hunger is a completely uncompromising film. And I think 12 years a slave is often really brutal and, uh, very stark and honest and it's raw, but I feel like there's too many times where it falls over into like Spielberg Oscar thing. Yeah, I can and like see the that. scene with Brad Pitt really doesn't work. No, and, it doesn't. <laughs> and it has to say, you know, and I just think that, um, you know, the acting is incredible. There's so many great, like Widows, 12 Years a Slave, amazing cast. And some of them have, uh, they, there's a few actors that are in both films. But I think that Steve McQueen is a really, you know, he, he's a really good director. And it's interesting that he, ch- I, I wonder why he chose to do this film. Apparently I, I he wanted he... to do it since he was a little kid. Like this is his dream project. 
It's like Luca Guadagnino. I'd want to do a remake of Suspiria. <laughs> yeah. so like, he's like, I want to do a remake of this 80s miniseries. <laughs> yeah. it's the woman who created it uh, did the prime suspect, the one that Helen Mirren's been in for many oh, okay. years. Yeah. But um, I just want to make one tiny correction uh, now that we're kind of wrapping up towards the end. Uh, I said in the previous episode, you know, there's so many of these actors that are in multiple Coen Brothers films. And I mentioned that David Thewlis, he's in The Big Lebowski. And I said, oh, he's been in a many Coen Brothers films. That's actually the only film. And he's in Fargo. His, yeah, but, but he's in the series Fargo. Yeah. So technically, he's only actually in one film directed by the Coen Brothers. But um, he should yeah, have been so in many, more by now. I know he's like there's some actors that like I don't think Harry Dean Stanton was ever in one of their films and he seems like someone that should have been in one of their movies for sure yeah even yeah, if it's I just don't a think totally minor role yeah but um, I do uh, yeah so the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is uh, in limited release probably not much probably not many places anymore no. uh, but uh, it's on Netflix and I recommend if you have the time to watch it in one sitting because it is um, it is their longest film but. I do think they com- connect thematically and it's worth seeing it or at least considering it as a whole, yeah. even though don't watch I, one episode at a time. Like that'd be sort of weird. Right. It's um, yeah. And I, I, I think that widows is one that's worth seeing on the big screen. Yeah. It's worth seeing Good with, seeing an, with audience. an audience. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Right. There was an obnoxious couple that were talking throughout the whole film. It's one of those. I hate when people are in an audience and they're like, Oh, they're doing this. Oh, does that mean that? I'm like, shut up. Just watch the film. Why are you talking? <laughs> yeah, it's like you the movie talk. will answer these questions in the future. <laughs> I know. I, it's like sometimes I wonder like what would happen if they were seeing like Mulholland Drive. They would be like, oh, shit. Who's the guy behind the, just, the dumpster? <laughs> yeah, I know. But um, I, I, are you going to give me a, a, a tiny bit of time to talk about the house yeah, of Jack? Let's just, okay. Yeah, let you fan out about it for a little bit. Okay. So one of my top 10 living directors we, we should do an episode where we go through our favorite living directors but i've seen every film directed by lars von trier including his miniseries the kingdom and the film dear wendy which he only wrote and i saw his new two hour and 32 minute uh serial killer film the house that jack built which was trumped up uh last night as being the one night only that it's screening across america uncut and it's a film that reportedly over 100 people walked out of at the premiere at Cannes. It's a film that is like a horror film, I guess, but it's a serial killer uh, drama that stars Matt Dillon as the titular Jack. And it's about a really disturbed uh, middle-aged man named Jack, and it goes over many years in his life as he kills different people. And it's pernicious and cruel and ugly and graphic and i had a ball watching it it's uh, it, it's it is really funny actually uh throughout a lot of scenes there is this really dark humor and then there's segments that are really not funny that are very disturbing but i actually think antichrist is a lot more disturbing it's um has less violence <laughs> on screen. <laughs> i know but I, I mean i'm not soft you know trying to soften the you know that it's not going to have an impact i mean it is very disturbing but it's not like a constant gore fest like i also saw recently overlord the oh, yeah. nazi zombie film that jj abrams produced and that's much more violent okay that's much more Just gory not very realistic 
No, it's like a it's like a nasty B movie, but uh, the house that Jack built has lot a lot less violence, but the burst of violence are really disturbing and graphic. And I think it's one of Matt Dillon's best performances. He's been in everything from the outsiders to crash. to there's something about Mary drugstore cowboys. And, right. And, um, it has some of the, um, victims, Uma Thurman and who was in his previous film, nymphomaniac and, uh, uh, Riley Keough. And I just think that it's a film like Von Trier introduced the film, had a little video introduction, and he said that it's a film that you should uh, digest for a few days. So I don't want to try to speak about too much of the meaning after having seen it less than 24 hours ago. But I found it a very powerful film and it, it, I have a lot of emotions about it. And I do think it has a pretty incredible ending in the way the his film Melancholia opens. It has these really haunting gorgeous images that are like slow moving paintings almost and i I don't want to give anything away but there's a literal descent into hell and there's some real there's some of the most striking images i've seen all year in a film where it's just like it's like there was a movie this is a random reference but there was a movie that came out a few years ago called the mill and the cross Mm -hmm. that's based on a famous painting and the whole film is basically taking all the segments in that big famous painting and showing like what would happen if they were real people and you're going to show their lives and it's like they really realistically capture this painting and it had Rutger Hauer in it anyway it's like uh, those scenes uh, in the house that Jack built feel like he took a famous ancient painting and he animated it and it's it's just so I mean it's weird to say that this serial killer film is gorgeous but there are some amazing images in it but it's definitely not for everyone i mean i, I would imagine not it's probably not it's, for me well i mean it's a film that like I, I i don't really believe i'm not saying that there weren't a lot of walkouts at can but it's in my mind i think like you said before there are a lot of people that plan to walk out yeah, like they, they were their statement they think their statement is so important I know, but um, I, it's I, I mean, I completely defend, even though he's uh, Von Trier is a very complicated filmmaker and his views of the world and women and a lot of things are questionable and thought provoking. But I do think he is a master filmmaker and I think he's a genius and that he's made many, many wonderful movies, even if I think they're really disturbing. So I love Lars Von Trier. Uh, I wrote Better on Facebook. Better than Widows? They're so different. I mean, <laughs> Widows is like, even though Widows is gritty, it's definitely different more just like purely entertained. Yeah. yeah, I mean, not that a film, because it makes you think more, makes it a better film, but I'm, you know, The House That Jack Built, I'm still definitely thinking about. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it's a film that like dies under your skin and just stays there and it, <laughs> it makes, and like, it, it's like penetrating your brain and, um, you know, like I said, it's just because Widows isn't, you know, I'm not saying it's a dumb film or that it doesn't leave you with anything to think about, but The House That Jack Built is definitely one you have to consider for a while. So even though it only played one night on cut, don't see the movie unless it's uncut. You should, I mean, I don't know how they could have changed it. Uh, I mean, it's pretty rough in parts, but like I said, I mean, it, if you're going into the movie wanting to see it, you know, you'll be okay. Yeah, you know, it's, you know it, what to expect if you're going don't to see take, it. Don't take your grandmother to see it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I would... It's also one I would not recommend 
I wouldn't recommend it to anybody that hasn't seen at least or is on the fence about saying it like eh, maybe <laughs> or that ha- or don't know anything like it's not a it's not a good one to start with Unburned. I don't think anyone should start with uh, any of his last uh, four films. Yeah, uh, they, they should go back and watch Europa or Breaking the Waves or you know one of those films first because mm. like it's like I don't recommend you know I love David Lynch but I wouldn't recommend that like I went on a date with someone once and the, the first film was Inland Empire and like that's not a good first you know date film yeah. you know, that's a, such a it's like a the harsh... most confusing movie ever made I know I know <laughs> but anyway so uh, the I we I recommend all three films but uh, I recommend the, the two that I saw. I don't know if I will ever see the house that Jack built. <laughs> I might. Right. Well, what are you looking for? I'm I'm I have a I'm going with family friends on Sunday to see uh two like very os- big Oscar contenders, Boy Erased and Green Book. Are you going to try to see um some films? I'm going to try future? to see Boy Erased this weekend. Uh, I'm hoping the favorite comes out where I am pretty soon because I really want right. to watch that. Uh, there's some others that you've seen that I think haven't come out around here. Uh, but yeah. Oh, I do want to, I do want to see, wait to see that. Well, I, um, I want to, uh, I think I'm going to travel to see, can you ever forgive me? The one Melissa McCarthy, they're saying okay, is quite yeah. possibly get nominated and Richard E. Grant. They that one, I don't know how interested I am in that movie. It has like an 87 on Metacritic. It's one of yeah, the very, people very, say best. it's really good, but I don't know. I really want to say I I I might try uh, actually go back to Charlotte this weekend. They're playing a film called Border, which is by the uh, person who wrote Let the Right One In, and it's oh. uh, this. It's basically like what it's in a world where some people are like part troll or part like <laughs> like bizarre as hell. Well, it's it's like they have they're like they're part like creature and like uh-huh. it, they say it's like a romantic film a fantasy film it's like not really a horror film but it gets kind of weird and it's gotten really good reviews and they say it's one of the most like imaginative films of the year it's called border wow, i really want to see that and then another one uh it, it's not gotten amazing reviews but uh peter bogdanovich has a documentary about buster keaton huh. that because i you know buster keaton is you know a god to yeah, me peter bogdanovich and, loves old hollywood I know. And uh, it has a lot of interesting uh, everyone interviewed from uh, Quentin Tarantino to Werner Herzog. Um, <laughs> and uh, but anyway, so Werner there's Herzog, the Bearman. <laughs> I know but there's uh, there's so many there's so many movies I need to catch up with since I'm finished with the semester now. Pretty much I can uh, go and. Yeah, and this indul- is the season indul- for it. All the sort of Oscar bait movies come out about now. Beautiful Boys coming out soon. That should be. That's already. It's been out a few weeks already. Oh, has it? Okay. Well, it's yeah. out. There we go. Just like Boy Erased. It's, it's already in the cheap theater here. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it it got okay reviews. I mean, it, I, there's some movies I feel like. I guess I got to go see this because it's going to get Oscar nominations. Because yeah. I've seen every single film nominated for Best Picture, Director, the four acting categories, and the two screenplay categories for like the last like six years and i've seen all of them since like 2007 which was like roughly when i really started watching uh-huh. like the adult movies like that's the year that no country for old men and there will yeah, be blood there will came be out blood. michael yeah. clayton that was a big year but ever since that year i've seen there's only about seven films out of the dozens and dozens in all those main categories that i haven't seen one i, I never saw the help and oh I yeah got, it's not yeah, bad and i 
Um, yeah, well, one thing that people are saying, and I don't want to, you know, critique a film I haven't seen, but some people are kind of criticizing Green, Green Book. Book as being yeah. like a driving Miss Daisy help movie yeah. where it's like white people patting themselves on the back, like, oh, I wouldn't have been racist back then. Yeah, I'm a good I'd white person. Sort of see it that way. Right, I'm sort but, of tinting um, my my thoughts about it before I even see it. Then I'm just like, this is bullshit. <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those things where I really hope that. Well, I'll say this because I've seen them. I really hope A Star Is Born doesn't win any of the major awards. I'm saying win over something like The Favorite, or you know, when I see it, I hope that I feel as strongly about Roma as oh, other yeah, critics. Oh yeah, for sure. Do. So that I comes just, out pretty I, soon. Two like, weeks there's or so. This, yeah, it's already out in theaters. Oh, Roma in New York and LA. Yeah, right. Oh. But um, it's it's interesting. There's this um not a meme it's just someone took a screen grab from the hollywood round table they have those where they get the actors and yeah, actresses the and there's this am- i know there's this amazing uh, screen grab that someone has of glenn close just like giving dagger eyes at lady gaga she's <laughs> like why are you here but um <laughs> i don't know she actually is thinking it's just the way they've captured the picture makes it look like please but no i mean i like i it's one of those things where if, when you know Lady Gaga will get nominated. Yes, and for like, sure. But like, I'm almost certain that if I were going to make my top five personal picks, she wouldn't make it in the top five. But I'm not like, I don't think it's like an egregious thing that she'll get nominated. I just hope she doesn't actually win. No, it's gonna. She is gonna win, and it's gonna be awful, and I'm gonna be pissed off. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's she's gonna really be unreasonably it. pissed off about it. Well, the, what, the, from what I've seen so far this year, I would actually nominate, like, if like I need to see a number of things. I need to see Roma, mm-hmm. the main person in that's never acted before. They say she's incredible. I need to see uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Yeah. But from what I've seen so far this year, basically, I would nominate Olivia Coleman, And then my other nominees would be all people that are younger than me. Like, I oh, think yeah. some of the best performances this year were done by really young people. Eighth Grade, mm-hmm. Leave No Trace, and... Uh, the hate you give like they're all like 12 years old no they're not that young but they're like 18 years old like i would be perfectly happy with like all of uh the you know half of the nominees uh for best actors being like teenagers and in their early 20s because they're some of the best performances i've seen this year yeah but anyway we'll we're gonna catch up seeing some more of these oscar movies (laughs) yeah Uh, they're gonna come thick and fast now so probably a lot of reactions to stuff we see in the near future um right Hope you enjoyed our discussion of Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Widows and Jonathan's brief ramblings about uh, the house that Jack built. Uh, Recommend all the movies, maybe not the house that Jack built. But yeah, (laughs) thank you for listening. Uh, Hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed rambling about this sort of stuff. And uh, we will be back next week. Uh, thank you, and see you. Actually, a week, hopefully. Actually, a week this time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not going to be traveling for a while. <laughs> no extended okay, hiatus. Bye bye. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Don't let them pick guitars or drive them old trucks. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. Babies grow up to be cowboys Cause they never stay home And they're always alone Even with someone they love